Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Last week, we saw video of three of the international ministries we support, and then on Wednesday, heard from them. But there was one conspicuously absent. And that's because, well, they weren't going to be on video. They were going to be here live. That's Operation Serve International, and that's headed up by uh, Dr. Sama and Connie Sadek. And they are here this morning. You're in for a treat. I was uh, able, along with uh, Reverend Barry and Linda and Reverend Terry and Rhea, along with Julie and I last night, to just share a meal with Sama and Connie. And it was a joy. And I'll just tell you, they are humble people. They're doing a great job in Mexico and in Egypt. They have two centers where they are affecting people's lives. In Egypt, children in garbage dumps, they're ministering to where they live there. If you can imagine that, growing up in a garbage dump, but they're also training pastors in Egypt to share the Word of God. And in Mexico, doing an outstanding job in communities and connecting people with churches, which is fantastic. And they're humble. I asked a question about, really, who's in charge? And you know what happened? They did this. Sama points to Connie. Connie points to Sama because... They're a team, and they're really giving the credit to Jesus Christ. So they're here this morning, and as I said, you're in for a treat. First, we're going to hear from Connie about Mexico. And we had one of our teams recently in Mexico City working with OSI. So Connie is going to be here sharing with us with a couple of people that were on the trip, Andrea Kennedy and Kelly Gayhart, and Connie's going to have a discussion with them and share a little bit. So let's give them a round of applause this morning. Greet them well. Thank you for having us here and allowing us to share a little of the testimonies of uh, the time that Bethesda mobilized the team and served with us. We were just chatting before the service, and I would like uh, Andrea to begin and share because I know a lot of you feel like the Lord is calling you and maybe you're listening to his call but there's a lot of struggles whether it's doubt or fear so I just want to have Andrea share a little bit of her testimony um, it, uh, to go to Mexico it started out with uh, one of the, my sisters in church asking me um, was I going on the trip and you know basically with my walk with the Lord it wasn't it wasn't close and intimate as it had been, so I began to doubt and say, Lord, I, I don't think I can go. I'm not where I need to be. And so I didn't fill out the application, and I just prayed. And I said, well, Lord, if you want me to go on this trip, the uh, deadline is already passed. So if you want me to go, you got to open the door for me. And I got a text from Linda Allen um, that night saying, hey, my friend, are you going to Mexico? <laughs> and... So I just talked to her. I told her where I was in the Lord, and I thank God for the ability to be able to be transparent with the body of Christ and get the encouragement to step out and get back in the right position that you need to be in and move forward and do the things that God is calling you to do. 
And then part of that was just in finances too. I had family members that needed help with money and um, someone else needed help with money. And so the Lord said, you know, give when somebody asks and give sufficient unto their needs. So I did. And I said, well, Lord, if you want me to go on this mission trip again, <laughs> you're going to have to show me how to pay for it. Well, I have a special dad in my life who uh, called me from Valentine's Day. And not that he's not sweet all the time, but this is not the norm. <laughs> uh, he said, stop by my house. I have something for you. And I said, okay. He said, don't get out the car. I was like, what is going on? My dad wanted me to do a drive-by at his house. Something's not right. And my dad came out with a dozen yellow roses and a card. And he was going to be going out of town for Florida, so he gave me my card ahead of time for my birthday. So when I got home, I opened the card, and it's everything that a father could ever say to a daughter that she wants to hear. But when I opened up that card, there was a check for the exact amount for the next deposit that I needed that week. <laughs> I have a good earthly father, but I have an awesome, faithful daddy God. <laughs> I know I hear from so many people that, you know, they have those fears of stepping out and God um, providing and overcoming those fears or not feeling capable enough to be used. But and when, you, when the Lord's speaking to you and you step forth, He provides in supernatural ways that you wouldn't expect. So it begins even before you go to the mission field, a faith walk. And then so many times I know you can struggle even what's my purpose or role. And, and I know Kelly was sharing with me, so I want her to share with you about what God did in her life. Hello. I, uh, I was raised at Bethesda. I went to school here, and every day we served and prayed and were in the Word and even in church. And then in college, I did the same thing. I was in Bible study and just on fire all the time. And the next thing I knew, I put my head down for marriage and motherhood and a career. And 15 years later, I put my head up and kind of looked at God when um, some life changes happened and wondered what my purpose was. Like, why am I here? What am I to do? Uh, and I'm standing in church, and there's an announcement for the Mexico missions trip, and I told Barry, I'm, I'm going to come. And I found out that it had already been planned, the same thing. I mean, the deadlines were all passed, and the Lord provided the money, the Lord provided the means, and uh, then doubt set in, and it was, um, you know, who are you? You're going on a medical fair. You have absolutely no credentials. <laughs> Uh, you don't even speak Spanish, and what are, you, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And I told Connie, I even Googled at one point why I go on a missions trip because I still was so unsure what my purpose was, why I was doing this, and I went anyway, and uh, every single morning we did devotions together as a team, and it was poured into you. We need you. You have purpose. Um, we're the body. Uh, you are the hands and the feet. We need planters and sowers and waterers, and we're so glad you're here. And I was energized every single day that it just allowed me to go out into the field. And I literally checked the use me where you need me box because I didn't think I had an even a reason to be there. And I ended up being on the optical team where I was able to give people glasses. And um, it was moving and life-changing and what I found out what the Lord pressed on me is our purpose is to love God and love our neighbors to go 
and that's it. Um, I came home with a completely renewed outlook on people. It, my problems were still here, my family was still here, my job was still here, everything was here when I got back, but um, a renewed outlook on loving people and loving God um, came out of it. So yeah, you can find the, this is my life mission, I'm gonna go sell everything and move to Mexico. <laughs> or you can actually just find that your life mission is right here, where you work with your family. Um, and your purpose is just to share the love of Jesus. So that's what I learned. One of the things that we do, we receive applications from all over, not only Mexico City, but the surrounding areas called the state of Mexico from pastors and churches. Some are planting new churches. Some have been through a struggling time. And they ask us to bring a team. We ask international team members to come, and that's where Bethesda joined on one of the weeks. Each of the weeks, we select two churches. So our goal is every year to take 25 to 30 churches and their communities and serve with the love of Christ and word indeed. And the, the week that your team came, there was some... Uh, powerful things that happened. Uh, one, first, you guys saying yes. For those of you that came and were part of that powerful team, we were able to select churches that were in great need and serve their community and see many people come to Christ. In fact, over 1,151 people were served and loved in the name of Jesus. Amen. And one of the things we do is we just don't go in and do the outreach. We partner with that local church. So when that local church is selected to take a team, our staff goes and meets with them and prepares. Everyone from the community that comes in is registered, name, address, for follow-up. So when they come and visit the church and maybe they're getting eyeglasses or their hair cut or their nails done or just loved on, the local church has names and addresses who visited in those two days or three days of outreach so they can continue to follow up with. Then they go to the areas of service. Maybe they received therapy. Maybe they received medical. Maybe they received their children in the, uh, the children's ministry. After all the areas of service, we set up with the, each local church counselors, members that the pastor selected that can pray and counsel with each person. And it's not just raise your hand if you want to send, receive Jesus. It's a one-on-one -on -one plan of salvation presented to each of those thousand people that were served. What was so amazing is decisions were made. 225 people that week came to Christ. Praise God. And just to share a little bit about the churches that were selected for you all, one of the churches on Monday and Tuesday that your team went to was Pastor Eugenia. What had happened, her and her husband co-pastored. They even had a small Bible group, Bible college that they were starting there. They were growing. They were thriving in their community. And he suddenly died. The church was filled with grief. His wife was filled with grief. Many people left the church because of that grief. I don't know about you. I know I've experienced loss of even my parents and family members. There's sometimes when you're grieving, it can even affect your ministry. And that church was really hurting 
from grief of loss of their their pastor. Their the, his wife was still co-pastoring, but she needed encouragement and ministry. So we took the team in there to come alongside, and we just we follow up after the team has served one week out, one month out, and just called Pastor Henia actually about three days ago. And she said, you know, there's been a revitalization of the church. She said when the people were kind of apathetic and hurt and wounded and grieving, they didn't want to serve anymore. But because Bethesda team came in and served the community, it ignited them and said, this is what we should be doing. So that church is now growing and thriving, and many people that came to Christ that week are continuing to come back to that local church. You brought life to that local church. You were, you were listening to the call of God to go, and God spoke to us and say, take that group there. The last three days, we went to a church and Pastor Jose and his wife, his name uh, Yasmin, it was in a small like patio of their, their, their house that they were trying to start the church, that they were growing, they built the platform. They had the vision to reach the community, but they were struggling because they were just really beginning in a lot of ways in that, in that area, in that community. The name of their church was Sound of Praise. And they were um, ministering, and in fact, they had shared with us that they had three kids in their Sunday school program. And by the end of the week, the first Sunday after your team left, they already had 20 children added to the group. Three days ago, when we also called Pastor Jose, what's the follow-up now? What's happening at the church? He said, 22 families are now in our church because of that outreach. And he goes, but I want to tell you something else pretty miraculous that happened, and more people are coming. He said, there was a lady, and I know the team members will remember, she came in the medical area, and she had a diagnosis with her reports, with her x-rays, with her CAT scan, that she had pulmonary cancer. And the doctor said, you have to begin chemotherapy and probably do surgery. But she was not wanting to go through that. She was aging, and she felt like, I can't go through that. The team gathered together, members of the medical area. I know Alejandra and uh, Tracy, and some of them were around her and just started praying for her. And the Lord just really ministered to her to be at peace, that he wanted to touch her body. Pastor Jose said, do you know what? She went back to the doctor, and he said, did you take a treatment somewhere else? Did you, what did you do? Because on your CAT scan, all your reports, there is no cancer. So God brought healing to that lady, physical healing. But I know there were so many more that were brought emotional healing, areas in their life that they were ministered to. So you were a part of that. Thank you, Bethesda, for listening to the call of God. Isn't that encouraging to hear? Teams of people, not just Bethesda, but other churches going into these areas. People are getting saved. They're getting healed. This is fantastic. When we were talking uh, last evening with uh, Sama and Connie and just talking about their ministry and what they're doing and how they are so in, entrenched in it and just doing the Lord's work, I'm just getting blessed listening to what they have to say. But when they talk about 
people coming to the Lord, they are the real deal. They are the real deal. Their hearts are just that people would get saved. But what we heard from Connie just a minute or two ago about we do these one-on-ones. And when I was talking to Sam, he says, this isn't, when we ask someone about accepting the Lord, this isn't a crowd of people where somebody just raises their hand and that's it and we count them and they go. He said, this is a one-on-one. Someone talking heart-to-heart to another person about their eternal destination. And when they make a decision to turn their life over to Jesus Christ, there is someone looking them eyeball to eyeball and holding their hands and praying them into the kingdom of God. And he said, and then they are connected with a church so that they are discipled. And this is, this is something where this has longevity. These are people that are going to stay with Jesus Christ. This isn't seed that's just scattered on the road and it's going to rise up and be blown away with any wind that comes along. These are people that are getting ministered to. They're getting planted and rooted because not only are they getting uh, the salvation message, but they're getting connected to a church. This is what OSI is doing and it's what your hands are helping to do and you're giving. And this morning, we are going to hear from Dr. Sama as he comes to bring us a word. He's going to talk to us a little bit about listening. And I am looking forward to listening to Sama this morning. Will you give him a really warm welcome as he comes this morning? It's a great honor to be back here again. I feel that we are home, and I mean that. It's Pastor Pat, uh, Julie, thank you so much for opening your hearts. Uh, It's pastors, okay, Okay, Barry and, you know, uh, Terry, for the time for your investment in the kingdom of God in us, we adore you guys. We really do. You're amazing. It is so good to be home. And yes, I am an Egyptian, but I don't walk like one. (laughs) You know, I may walk like one, I may talk like one, but I don't walk like one. Thank you for the support that it is because of you having, you know, to pray for us, the financial, and even having to send people to the mission field. This year so far, so far, we've been able to touch 16,031 souls. Amen. They received a touch from the Lord out of them 2,754 people made a decision to follow Jesus in both Mexico and Egypt. We honor you, Lord. We could not have done this without you. Your support enables us to reach the lost. It was about maybe you know, six months ago, I was in Egypt, and uh, uh, someone from Iraq came to knock at my door, and he said, I have a problem, and I need your help. And he began to share. He said, I pastor in the region where the closest to where ISIS is, and I have a problem in the church. Half of my congregation now have been added to the church in the past two years. These people, they fled the persecution of ISIS, And as they came to the town where 
Because where we're at, they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and they sense a calling to reach their own people. These are the Muslims who fled ISIS, who are accepting Jesus. And they feel that they're called to go back to reach their people. He said, we don't have a Bible school in Iraq. We need your help. Is there any way that you could help us to have a Bible school there to train these men and women who have a strong calling to reach their people? I, I mean, I really, I did hear him, but I didn't want to listen. I didn't want to add one more thing to my plate. And the Lord did work in my heart. So we began to send some of the missionaries from Egypt to go and teach in Iraq. See, for, for so many years, we think of you know, the foreign field as the mission field. What an exciting time to live in that it is becoming the sending field. Pastors from Egypt, they go there every other month and they teach the Iraqis, the scriptures, how to reach the Muslims for the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm going to share with you about a family that came to the Lord in Iraq. The father, he is the chief engineer of the city of Mosul. We all know about that city, don't we? He has some of the bridges he participated in the building of, the design. They're actually named after him. He has a daughter, and the daughter, she was reading the Bible and the Quran. And she was reading in the Quran that Muhammad is dead. And in the Bible, that Jesus is alive. And she began to ask herself the question, do I follow the dead or the life? And as she's asking the questions, she had a brother who had a problem with his ear. He could not hear. They've taken him to all of the physicians. They could not do anything for the boy. And the mom had a dream. And in the dream, she had seen that they've taken him to the church and they prayed for him there and he was healed. So she went to the father and said, you know, I had a dream that we've taken the boy to the church, and he was healed. They prayed for him there, and he was healed. And the father said, you know what? We tried everything. We might as well, you know, just give it a try. They go to the church, and the pastors there, they lay hands on the child. Something fills out of his ear, and the boy begins to hear. The entire family comes to the Lord. The entire family sends a calling to reach the Muslims. We live in the end times. We have no time to waste. There is an urgency. Jesus is coming back soon. And he didn't call us to, you know, to be the wormers of the pews or the chairs. He called us for a purpose. He called us to reach the lost, the hurting, and it begins at home. 
It begins at home. Could you please go with me quickly to Mark chapter 6? Mark chapter 6. In the beginning of the chapter, we see Jesus going to preach to his hometown. They rejected him. Then he had since he entered you know, the third year of the ministry. He was about to go to the cross in a few months. He felt an urgency to send the twelve out. He could not accomplish the mission by himself. He needed to send the twelve out. So he gathered them, gave them authority, and sent them out two by two to preach the gospel. He knew that his time on earth is limited. He just has a year to go. He couldn't accomplish it by himself. So he gave the twelve power and authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out the demons, to preach the gospel. They went out. And we are now at verse 30. Okay, it's where they came back to him. All right, and we read. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. After they've gone out to preach the gospel, they came back to Jesus with excitement to tell him what they did and taught. They understood that their work, it began with him, it was done in him, and after they finish it, they finish it in him. And that's how our day should go about. We began our day in the Lord Jesus Christ. We continue in the power of his name. And when the day is over, we go back to him. Lord, thank you for helping me, for enabling me to to accomplish all of this. They were excited about what he had helped them to accomplish. We go on to verse 31. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me to a lonely place and get some rest. They came to share all of the stories. They're excited. They've seen the sick being healed. They've seen the power that they could do the same work that Jesus was doing. So they came back to him, and they wanted to share the stories. However, as they're sharing the stories, people, they were coming and going. And I don't know if you guys have been to the Middle East. You could never have a private conversation in the open. They're not being rude, but it's, it's the custom. If you're having a conversation with anybody in the open, everybody else will come and they will insert themselves in the conversation. But I'm not talking to you. I mean, the, the, the philosophy and the way we have it here, it's not there. I would be at the pastor's conference, and I would have a pastor, he was... 
He would be pouring his heart out. And I would find two or three pastors coming in. It has to be behind closed doors. And I believe this is what was happening. The 12, they were excited. They wanted to share with Jesus what they had accomplished. But they didn't have the opportunity because people were interrupting them. They were bothered by the people. And Jesus wanting to listen to them. So he said, come with me to a lonely place and get some rest. You see, many people today, they long to find someone who will listen to them, who will listen to the stories that they have, who would listen to the problems that we have. You know, the counseling gets business in the States. It's booming. Why? Because A-B counseling is you have to be a good listener. And listening is a hard work. We don't want to listen to people. In fact, we often lead them to believe that I am listening, but I'm trying to think what I'm going to say. How can I respond? People are hurting. They need to be listened to. Jesus knew that. And he had wanted to focus his energy, to focus his ears, his mind, his eyes, even his body, the way he positioned himself, all of his attention on the twelve so that they know that they're valued. Come with me and get some rest. We can give advice to people for as long as we want to. But they will never remember the advice we gave. They would always remember the way we listened. And there's a difference between hearing and listening. God, help us to identify the needs of the people. Look at the elderly who don't have anybody who would call them for weeks. And when you call them, they just want to talk. They need an ear. The singles in the church who go to work and then they go home in the evening with nobody to hear them. The people outside of the church, the lost, who are in a desperate need to, for someone to share the word of Jesus Christ. Okay, it's, but it's not the pre-canned word. I'm sorry. So often, we pre-can the word of God. We need to hear the specific needs of the people, and we can't hear that. We can't identify that unless we actively listen to the people, know their needs, so that we can respond. Come with me to a lonely place. It is only in the presence of Jesus Christ that there is rest for the worry. 
We get ourselves so busy in everything we do. We get ourselves so busy with, you know, the smartphones. Come on. I mean, there is not a family kind of a gathering where you find everybody just in his own world. We've made a god of, of the smartphones. Come with me to a look. Jesus had known that the twelve were exhausted, so he wanted to refresh them. With him there is the refreshment of the soul and the body and the mind. And I believe that the call of Jesus to the church this morning, come with me to a lonely place and get some rest. Enough the busyness that we just go around and around for nothing. Let us focus on what counts. Jesus is inviting you and I here this morning to go with him to the lonely place. Let's go on to verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a lonely place. Why, okay, so why would Jesus take them in a boat? Did you ever ask yourself the question? Because if he did not, people will pursue them. They will not get the rest. They will not have the chance to share with him. However, taking them in the boat, he took them away from the people to the lonely place in the boat with them alone. Two people, they would do you know, the rowing and the rest they will eat and share with him. For eight miles, the boat sailed. Eight miles. You know, it's when the Bible says that they walked for a day, it's about 20 miles. So this was about half a day kind of a journey. Eight miles, the boat had gone. And we read then, Okay, it's verses 34. When Jesus... No, I'm sorry. Let's go back to uh, 33. Okay, it's, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a crowd... He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I want you to think with me. Jesus and the twelve are in the boat. People on, on the seashore, they're watching the boat. And in their mind, this is the master who heals the sick. He raises the dead. And those who follow him have the same authority. You have the same authority. They wanted to get to Jesus. They followed the boat. They walked for eight miles. Whatever they were doing, they dropped because they wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to be close to him. They dropped everything and they ran as the boat had gone through to the place where Jesus got off. And they got there before Jesus did. And Jesus comes out. And there are 5,000 
men. If you add the women and the children, they estimate them to be 20,000 people. And Jesus walks off the boat, and he looks at the crowd. And what does the Bible says? He has compassion on them. See, the Greek term that it's being used here, it means that he was moved to the core of his being because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. I can just try to read in between the lines. If I was one of the twelve, how Jesus viewed the crowd and how the twelve may have viewed the crowd. He was, he was never bothered by people, but I imagine for the twelve, they were like, we escaped you there. You're following us here? I mean, come on. Jesus is never bothered by people. Sometimes we are. Yet, people are the, the only creatures that are created in the very own image of the Almighty. He was moved to the core because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. See, we are a ministry that we are based on meeting the physical needs as a means to open the people up to the greatest need that they would ever have, and that is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus, when he got off the boat, he was more concerned for the eternity of the people that he began to teach them. It was not about food. It was not even about healing, even though he did heal their sick. But we often, when we see people, we look at the materials. We look at the stuff that we can, you know, assess with our natural eyes. Jesus looks beyond the natural, and he's calling us to look beyond the natural. To the spiritual. He began teaching them many things. Then he healed their sick. But here's what I love. If you could read with me, it's verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place. And they said, it's getting very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They said, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on the bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have here? He said, go and see. Then they found out, they said, five and two fish. After he was done with the teaching, the disciples come to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, it's too late, and the people are hungry. Send them away to get anything to eat. How did they know that they were hungry? People must have talked to them. 
people, they must have gone to him and said, Hey guys, do you have any snacks? Do you have any food? No, we don't. So the disciples, instead of meeting their needs, they go to Jesus and ask him to send the people away. I want you to hear this, please. The disciples may have heard the people, but they didn't listen to them. The disciples may have heard that the people have a need, but they didn't actively respond to that need. God called us to be the listeners, the responders, the ones who will meet the needs. How often do we ask people, how are you? I have cancer. Well, all right, great. Okay, I'll see you later. We don't want to hear the answer. We don't want to listen. And there are hurting people out there. The disciples, they've done this. They did hear that the people were hungry, but yet they didn't want to meet their needs. In fact, they went to Jesus and said, Jesus, send them away. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. A few of the verses earlier, we did read of Jesus feeding the twelve. So it is okay for them to receive the food from the hand of Jesus, but it's not okay for the crowd to receive the food from the hand of Jesus. God help us how often it is we have a double standard. A standard for me, I can receive the grace of God, but it's not for you, it's not for you, it's only for me. It was okay for them to eat from the hands of the Lord. But now... When the turn came to the crowds, they didn't want for Jesus to feed them. Send them away. Send them away. They can buy their own food. Yes, we know that they have a problem. But it sounds like a personal one. It's not our problem. If we're going to reach the lost for the king... We have to meet their needs. We have to address their problems. The lonely. We have to address their needs. We have to speak the language that they will understand. It's not the pre-canned answers. The ones who are going through crisis. The divorcing. There is a special way to meet the needs of each of the circumstances. But we have to listen first. Sometimes we're too busy with the answers. You know, it was a few years ago. We were in Egypt. And when we have a team there, we've got a clinic in the garbage dump. We get about 2,000 people at the door. And we could see only maybe, you know, 300 every day. And there was a man, he was insisting that he is going to go in. And we were done. So he began to push, 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 push. And then he said, I just got out of jail. So they came for me and they said, we have a man who just got out of jail. He's wanting 
help. He is actually demanding help. So I go to the door and I bring him in. And I began to talk to him. I want to hear, why were you in jail? And the man began to talk. At the beginning, he says, you know, I killed my sister. Say, what? Why did you do that? He said, she had a bad, you know, reputation in the neighborhood. She was not a good woman. So I killed her in the honor of the family. You guys heard about the, the honor killing. And I looked at the man, speechless for a, f- a few minutes. And I just, I let him talk. And this man who walked in feeling like he did a good deed by killing his sister, by the end of his speech, he began to cry and says, I am living with the guilt. You see, at the beginning, he was just showing me the shell, what he's showing the people. At the end, he had shown me that he needs the forgiveness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The killer didn't leave the clinic with the physical help that he came for, but he left the clinic knowing Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Why? Because we did hear him. We did hear him. So often when we hear people we are thinking, man, how fool are you to do this? We're so quick to judge others before we give them the grace of God and allow them to share what's on their hearts. This man, I mean, I wanted to just, you know, do whatever to him because how could you kill your sister? But as he began to share, he's living with the guilt, and he needed the forgiveness. We have to hear people to the end. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is a hospital. You and I are working in the hospital. We are to treat the sick, not to kill them. The church is a lifeboat. It's not a showboat. But I'm not talking about the church as in the building or the, or the pastors. I'm talking the church as in you and me. We are a lifeboat. Send the people away. But Jesus, as he had compassion on their spirits, he had compassion on their bodies. Jesus had compassion on them. You give them something to eat. Jesus, do you know what you're talking about? It's going to take eight months of a man's wages, 70% of a man's salary, to just feed them bread. Jesus said, hey guys, how many loaves do you have? Well, okay, we're going to find out. We read in... John chapter 6, it's verse 8 and 9. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brothers, spoke up. 
Here is a boy with five small gets burly loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Why is Jesus asking about the bread? In the Middle East, if you don't eat anything, you eat only bread. Jesus was speaking to a culture that understood the value of the bread. I mean, they didn't have the pasta, the mashed potatoes. They understood the value. So it's when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. There is not a meal in Egypt or in the Middle East that it's being eaten without bread. It's incomplete. How many loaves do you have? There comes Andrew, and he says, I have a little boy here who have five small loaves and two fish, but how far are they go for so many people? I began to do a little bit of the study on Andrew. Andrew became one of my heroes. Andrew's name is a man of courage, manly. He was the first one to believe in Jesus Christ. Actually, he was the first one that Jesus called as a disciple. You know, it's when you have a business. The first hiree is the most important hiree. Jesus saw something in Andrew that it was so unique that he said, that's the first man I want. That's the man that I want to hire first. You read a little bit more about Andrew. Andrew was the first evangelist. What did he do? As soon as he met Jesus, as soon as he was called by Jesus, he ran to his brother Peter and said, Peter, we have found the Messiah. Andrew was the first evangelist. Everywhere you read about Andrew, Andrew is taking people to Jesus. Everywhere. In fact, he shared Jesus with his very own family. You know, the hardest people to share the Lord with is our families. Andrew didn't shy away from that. He loved his family so much. He loved Peter so much that he shared Jesus with him. Now, allow me to read in between the lines. When Jesus came to the seashore as he was doing the teaching, I imagine that Andrew didn't sit on the platform. He didn't hang out with those who have power. He didn't look for those who have authority. Who's the mayor here? Who's the one who has the means here? Who, who's the one who has authority here? Andrew looked for the least of these. He began to mingle in between the crowd. He began to walk in between the people. And he found a 12-year-old boy. In the culture of the Middle East, then and now, they don't value the children as we do here. In fact, as the children came to Jesus, people hushed them away. They're the least of these. 
Andrew began to look for the least of these, and he found the child. Andrew was genuinely interested in the child. I imagine that he began a conversation with him. He began asking him questions and listening to him, asking him about his name, his age, the town where he came from, his family, how far did he walk. Okay, and honey, did you eat? And the boy said, did I eat? I was about to eat, and I saw the boat, and everybody was just walking to meet Jesus. I packed my food, and I have it here, and I'm waiting for Jesus. As soon as he's finished, mm, I can taste the fish in my mouth. As soon as he's done, I'm going to eat. Andrew was genuinely interested in the child. If we're going to reach the lost for the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be genuinely interested in them. We don't, you know, just go with the sword or, you know, pre-loaded and just unload on them all of the verses that we know. We can't reach people through the mind. We have to reach them through the heart. They say that if you hear people to be heard, it's almost like to be loved. To be heard is to be loved. And sometimes we don't have the time to hear people. Andrew was genuinely interested in the boy. Let me share this also about Andrew. Although he was the first to be called, after he called his brother Peter to come to the Lord, you read in the Scripture from that point on, it refers to Peter and his brother. Andrew becomes the nameless one. Andrew understood it was not about his name, it was about his name. It was not about Andrew's name. He was willing to take a back seat. And sometime in the church we get offended if our names are not mentioned from the pulpit. It's not about us. It's about Him. Am I willing to remain and be the name, even though He was the first to be called? He was the senior. Yet He was very comfortable to take a back seat. He was a secure man in Himself to take a back seat. Isn't that one of the characteristics that it's amazing about this man, Andrew? He was willing to take a back seat. Andrew comes to Jesus, and he offers what the boy had. And I want you to think with me for just, just a moment, if you were the boy. This is my lunch meal. This is my lunch box. 
I was the responsible one in all of the crowd. I packed my food. Why should I pay for the responsibility of the rest of the crew? This is only enough for me. I am the child. I am the one who needs to be fed. Why are you taking my food away from me? What could possibly Jesus do with my food? It is so small. It is so insignificant. What could possibly Jesus do with it? You see, it's when we follow Jesus, other people's needs become a higher priority in our lives. It is no longer about us. It is about Him. See, let me close with this. Jesus asked the question, how many loaves do you have? What do you have? He didn't ask them, how many loaves do you wish to have? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? What do you have in your hand? But Lord, all I have is ears. Well, you got the gift of he hearing from Him. We have to work on the gift of listening. What do you have in your hand? And Moses said, Lord, it's a rod. It's nothing. He said, throw it on the ground. It became a snake and ate all of Pharaoh's snakes. We live in a time and a culture where if you're watching TV, you find people with superpower abilities. And we have a tendency to compare ourselves to them. I don't know how to preach like Pastor Pat. I don't know how to lead the worship like Pastor Terry. In fact, I can carry a tune. Even if you've given me anything to carry it in. I am totally, totally out of tune. But we compare ourselves with the talents and the giftings that others have. And that is a fallacy from the devil. Because God is not asking you, what do you wish to have? He's asking you, what do you have in your head? Lord, it's just five small loaves of the bread. How far can they go? He said, no, 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 no. What you think is nothing. What you think is so small. What you think is nothing. It's about to become everything when you hand it to me. Detroit have a lot of people who, who are going to hell. And we have the answer. But Lord, if I have that, no, 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 no. It's not if. It's not what you wish to have. It's what you already have. But Father, I am so insecure. I mean, when I first came to the States, I had been in the States for less than a year. And we went to New York City. And we were doing an outreach there. We would do the drama, and then we would begin to share Jesus with everyone. After the drama, I look at my teammates. And this, okay, it was about you know, 28 years ago. Everyone on my teammate was, was sharing Jesus but me. And I began to give myself all of the excuses that I could. I don't speak English that well. I don't know the culture. I mean, I had been in the States for, for a few months. 
And I began to rack up the excuses to feel good about me not sharing Jesus with someone. And I was like, no, 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 no. God called me to be the salt and the light. So it's one of the days I woke up and I said, this is the day I'm going to share Jesus. We go out after the drama. I look at my teammate and everybody is sharing Jesus but I. And I began to give God a list of the characteristics of the person I felt I would be most effective with so that he can understand my accent. You know, sometimes we think we are as smart as God. He may need a little bit of help. And as I'm giving him the list, out of the corner of my eye, I see, I see a huge African-American man. He was so drunk, he could not walk. And the Holy Spirit said, that's the man. And I began to argue with God. This can be you. You often make sense. This man is not going to understand anything I will say. And I began to fight with God. Have you, I mean, have you ever done that? And as I'm fighting, the man was gone. I knew then that I had missed God. So I began to pray, Lord, please send him back. However, it will be much better if you will send the person I told you about. <laughs> and as I am praying, the man comes back and I am pulling, Lord, surely this is not you. I don't speak English that well. He is drunk. He's not going to understand the thing I will say. It's not about me saying anything. I was a fool. I woke up to the man and I said, God, I will hold you responsible for the consequences. <laughs> and I introduced myself to him and I said, Hi, my name is Sam. And that's all I said. An hour later, this man became sober and he began to cry. His mom had been praying for him for 38 years. And all God needed is young fool me to show up. And he did the work. So often we get so anxious of, okay, what are we going to say? We think of, of ourselves before we think of the need of the people. Or even obeying the call of God. With every head is bowed. In fact, could you please get on your feet for me? Jesus shared a story of the master who, who gave to a man the five talents, to another man two, and to the third man one. The first two, they invested the talents that they were giving. And the third one, he didn't break the law. He didn't break the Ten Commandments. All he did is he buried the gifts, the talents that he was given by the master. And he was 
judged by the master. When I stand before God, I don't want to be the one who had buried the talent and the gifts that he had given me. I want to be the one who had put it to use. I want to be the one who had invested it. I want to be the one who had looked for the least of these to bring the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who's coming back soon to the hurting and to the lost. If that's you, if the Lord is really speaking to, to your heart, Lord, whatever it takes, I'm going to be Andrew this week. Whatever it takes, I am going to listen to people. I am going to take the wax off my ear. Whatever it takes, it's not about my name, it's about your name. Whatever it takes, I am going to look for the lost. I am going to mingle in between the crowds. And I'm going to look for the lost. But I ask for those who are commissioned to pray here at the altar to come up. And if the Holy Spirit is really speaking to you, this is the time for you to step up and say, I'm going to be Andrew this week. I'm going to respond to the call of God on my life. I invite you to come up. I invite you to respond to the call of God to be the Andrews, to be the one who will take the gospel to the lost, to be, to be the one who will look for the hurting, to be the one who will serve those who need serving the most. Don't be shy. If the Lord is really speaking to you, please, I beg of you, do not hold back. As you're coming here, you're taking the step. You, you're making the decision. This week, I'm going to be Andrew. In fact, this afternoon, I'm going to be Andrew. I'm going to look with the heart of God to seek and save the lost. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you are at work in your people. Holy Spirit, we invite you to continue the work that you have begun. For you are faithful where you start a work. You're faithful to carry it on unto completion. Father, I pray that you will give us the boldness, Lord, the boldness to hear, the boldness to speak words in season, and not only be the speaker without being the hearers. Oh God, I pray for a fresh anointing on your people. Father, that they would be the counselors who serve the great counselor hearing 
the hurting and bringing healing to their hearts and their minds and their lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If there's anyone here, any more, if you want to come for prayer, don't leave without the Lord touching you this morning. You know, as Dr. Samuel was speaking, I'm reminded of a couple of things. In Luke chapter 7, where Jesus came upon the widow who had just lost her son, and that same word is there about his heart went out to her. Compassion, he was moved. And he says to her dead son, get up. Even the dead can hear when Jesus speaks. And if your ears need to be opened, if you need them clear it out to hear what God would have to say to you because you've got something to offer. Listen this morning. Listen this morning. I'm also reminded of Psalm 49. Psalm 49 opens with this. Listen. Pay attention. And the psalmist says, pay attention. Why? He wants you to hear. And what does the psalmist have in his hand? You know, we heard Dr. Sama say, you've got something in your hand. Jesus isn't uh, asking uh, what, or we shouldn't be asking him, what can you give us? He's asking us, what do you have? And the psalmist had a harp. He had a harp in his hand. And he says, listen, listen, I've got something to say. I want to tell you about, I want to, I want to give you the wisdom of Almighty God. I want to expound to you a riddle. But he says this in Psalm 49, verse 4, I will turn my ear. Before he's going to expound his riddle, before he plays on his harp, before he uses what Almighty God has given him, he said he's going to listen. And he's going to listen to what God has to say. Have you listened to the Holy Spirit this morning? Has he pricked your heart? Do we need to have our ears open to hear him and to hear others? Don't leave if you, if you need that touch. Don't leave. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for people like Dr. Sama and, and Connie who are out there meeting the needs of people. May we be like that, Lord. We need to be renewed and reinvigorated for those who are in our neighborhoods and in our lives that we would see our church as the hospital to heal and to help. God, make us better listeners. We bless your name this morning, Lord, and we thank you and we praise you for your word that's gone forth. May it go with power with each of us in Jesus' holy and precious name. Thank you, God. You don't need to rush out of here. If you need prayer, we'll stay for any and all who need a touch from the Lord. God bless you this morning.